And the guy says, don't hurry too fast off the phone because I am the VP of HR at a $2 billion company and we place a ton of manufacturing engineers. We want to work together with you. He cold called me and we've done multiple placements with them since. So it does work and you can win clients from it. Welcome to the Resilient Recruiter Podcast. This is your host, Mark Whitby. I am really happy to be joined today by Mike Williams. Mike is the founder and president of Carnegie Search based in Charlotte, North Carolina. He's a manufacturing and engineering recruitment specialist. I'm honored to count Mike among our clients here at Recruitment Coach. Mike has an impressive track record as a top producer. In his first five years in agency recruitment, he won Perm Rookie of the Year plus President's Club five times, which I guess he won it every year. Uh, he then founded Carnegie Search in February 2022. And in his first 12 months, he built 900K, which is astounding. And he's now up to 1.2 million since he started the business only 15 months ago. Mike, welcome. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Thank you for the very generous introduction. And uh, it's great to be here. So how did you get into recruiting, Mike? <sighs> I got into recruiting, so seven, eight years ago now, um, I had gone to college for English. I knew that I did not want to use my degree as soon as I got out of school, so I was kind of just um, wandering and took a job just, you know, kind of first company that would hire me. I was uh, like an insurance claims analyst type of person. Did that job for a year or two. They put me into sales. I had a little bit of sales background because I had some sales jobs in college and always knew that I liked sales. I was with that company four or five years, and then um, I was just ready for the next thing. And I just found a, a, a posting for a, a business development position at a recruiting firm. The interesting thing that happened there was it was the same recruiting firm that had placed me in the job I had been for the last five years. Oh, wow. So they they kind of cool. knew me. I kind of knew them. And... Um, they, yeah. So then the rest is history. All right. Wow. And it sounds like you took to it like a duck to water. How, um, well, look, I I'd love to know more about Carnegie, uh, search and like your absolute tear that you've been on in the last 15 months. Could you talk a little about why you started the business, but also how you've been able to like hit the ground running and, and make, you know, however many, close to 50 placements, I think, since you started. Yeah. So um, so I started the business a little over a year ago, February of last year, 2022. Um, I had been in agency recruiting for like five years. I had been mm -hmm. successful in doing it. I liked it. I knew that this was the career that I wanted to do. Um, there was a combination of it being... Um, like an obvious decision and also a very difficult and challenging and risky decision to start a business. The obvious decision part of it is once you do five years in agency recruitment and you're billing and you're making big fees and you're going to the president's club trips and you're doing all of the things, it sort of becomes to a point where it's like, what is the next thing that I want to do? Do I just want to do the same thing that I did the last five years for another five years, for 15, for 20? Like, At what point is there something more to this? And mm. I actually think that's a, a trick that agencies um, kind of need to figure out. Like, How do we retain our top billers? Yeah. I have some ideas for how I want to try and do that as I you know, grow what we're doing here. But there wasn't really a compelling story for me to want to stay, mm. number one. So, um, so from that perspective, it became kind of obvious. But it wasn't quite enough to get me to 
have the courage to start my own business just with that because it's a big risk. Um, you have clients, you have previous clients, you have established relationships, you have um, resi- not residuals, but you have accounts receivable that are coming in. Um, when I left, I walked away from a lot of money <laughs> to leave just in receivables. So like in my last very last month, I build a hundred thousand dollar month, which is a great month, I think, by anyone's standard. Absolutely. And I had deals from the month before that where I I don't remember what I closed that month, but they had not paid out yet because you know how it goes in recruiting. Obviously, you get paid when the client pays you and you don't get your commission until the company collects that money. So I had money from the previous month and I think even some from the third month before that, just late payers. So there was a lot of reasons to stay. <laughs> you know, it was a financial incentive to stay is the other thing. So um so I was thinking about just what was my long-term future going to be? How long do I want to do this for? And um, I was at a point where I wanted to uh, do something that was just bigger and better than what I had already done. So um, I was you know, making good money. I was young. I started in this business. I was like 25 years old, 26 maybe. Um, wow. And so I was doing well at an early age when I first started. And I was realizing that like the money and the commissions weren't really winding my clock like it was great to have money but it wasn't like the biggest thing for me the biggest thing for me was how good can i get at this mm. how many people can i help can i try to be come to be amongst like the best recruiters in the world that's what i that's what i wanted to be that was my goal and i didn't really have a path to be able to do that at the agency i was with um, I wanted to get into a bigger territory. I was working in a really small territory in Western Massachusetts where I grew up. So I just wanted to go off on my own, do my own thing in a bigger territory in a highly niched business because I felt like I could scale something that was niched a little better. Um, and then so that's that was you know what led up to me deciding to start the business. Awesome. It your thought process. I, I'm totally with you on that. And by the way, this is a side note to any owners listening who have teams and who are, who are looking to scale is like, you cannot afford to lose your people like Mike Williams, right? So you need to consider what is our, what's the career path at our business? And have you mapped that out? And have you communicated that to your team members? What do they need to do to progress? What does that look like in terms of, um, you know, additional, uh, you know, earnings, but also, you know, career development, um, responsibility. And you know, so that's one thing is career development. But the second is like culture. Can you make your, you know, your business just so much fun? People like would miss it too bad if they, if they, if they left, they would miss you know, everything that you've got going on. So there's a bunch of stuff that you can do, but um, I don't know if it would have mattered in your case, Mike, but uh, it is something that people do need to do need to consider. I don't know. I don't know if it would have mattered in my case, but I think that it could have made me stay there a little longer. Um, and what I... Like if they'd, if they'd yeah. said to you though, Mike, like, okay, so we see you as partner material, or we'd like you to become a managing director of the manufacturing division. And, you know, here's the steps to accomplish that. Here's the billings you need. You need to then hire 
your own team. You need to get them billing and then you progress to this and you know, you really will have free reign. It's going to be your business, um, you know, with our support and, and, uh, and, and so on. Would that have kind of attracted you at all? Possibly it would have at least been more of, um, just like feeling of forward movement. Um, there was opportunity for me to build a team and hire people, but there wasn't a very clear reason how that would benefit me financially or just at all, really. You know, I think it was more of, we'd love for you to build a team <laughs> type of a thing. Um, so, I mean, yeah. what I have in mind for what I, w- I would like to do with people, you know, who that we hire that become top performers is one, I think if you can cut them in somehow of an equity component to the business <laughs> to become either partial owners or at least owners of that branch, you know, where they're getting a significant residual of what they're building there. Um, because it's an entrepreneurial business, you know, and a lot of people are going to say, I don't need your company in order to do this. I can just go do this on my own. So how do you, how do you get over that? How do you get people to want to stay? Like you said, culture and then like a path forward. But I see it as getting people involved with the equity component of the business. And then also just continually challenging them of what is the next thing in their progression and being really closely aware of where are they at what's next for them so like what i would see is for example the guy who i've hired so far isaac he started off with me as a sourcer so um so like a night i look at it as like a 360 degree desk 90 degree is sourcing other 90 degree is the candidate side the next 90 degree is the account management side and the next 90 degree would be the you're actually getting the clients and then you're doing the full boat. So that's totally. that's like his progression for his first year or two. But then mm-hmm. after that what I'd like to have him do is lead a team of other perm recruiters. Then I'd like to have him probably figure out how to do uh, temp and maybe mm-hmm. like do a temp side of the business and then run a full business temp and perm and then maybe open up another office after that. And then mm-hmm. maybe after that I don't know what would be after that. We're probably talking four or five years from now at that point, but at least it's there's steps that you can do that's next and next. That is, you know, 100%. even if it's not you're owning the business, it's you're learning something every day and challenging. And absolutely, that. that's so important that people feel like they're challenged, they're learning, they're growing, and they're not getting they're not stagnant. Like it's Groundhog Day. Oh, okay, I guess I just need to bill again this month and do the same thing I did last month and last year and the year before that. Uh, which ultimately, you know, how many years can you do that before it gets just, you know, it's not as exciting anymore? Yeah. At some point, they're going to give up. They're going to just say, I'll do whatever the next exciting thing is. And I guess that's start my own business. But Here yeah, we you go. really don't want to lose your top performers <laughs> because they're hard to find. Yes, exactly. Uh, so, come, well, which brings us back to your first 15 months uh, since you started the business. How do you explain, like, normally there's like a ramp up time when you start a new business. It takes, you know, a couple of months to just get the, the wheels turning and then you, you pick up momentum and speed as you go along. Um but you know you've had an astonishing performance for uh, for anybody, let alone a brand new business. What do you what would you say have been the keys to your success? Yeah, so a big part of why we were able to start hitting the ground running so quickly was um, I would say two things. One, obviously having experience and having been you know 
done a lot of deals in general, knowing a niche, you know, whatever it may be, knowing what types of candidates are desirable and placeable, all of the tactical things you need to have to be a recruiter. Mm -hmm. But for me in my first year, I think the biggest thing was something that was a little more strategic, which was um, the niche that we defined that I picked in the geographical area where I decided to do it in. So where I was coming from, uh, I was a manufacturing industry recruiter, same thing as that I am now, placing plant managers, engineers, these type of things. Mm -hmm. But I was doing it just in the area where I grew up, just because, because that was, you know, where I happened to be. So I decided that when I started my business, that what I wanted to do was move to a more desirable territory where there was a lot of manufacturing activity and there was a ton of hiring going on. So I spent a good two or three months every day after work, I would come home from work and I would, I had a big Excel chart going of where of all the cities in the country, what has the highest population growth? What has manufacturing activity? What has um, all things that would be desirable, you know, to become a recruiter. And then also I had to balance it with what things make sense for me and my wife and where do we want to live and these type of things too, because you're a big part of it. If you're the one who's doing the business, if you go to Juneau, Alaska, because it has the most manufacturing activity, but you hate the cold, you're probably not going to perform that well. So we had it down to a couple different cities, but we settled on Charlotte, North Carolina, which um, it was like, it was really kind of like night and day coming from Springfield, Massachusetts, a tiny territory to a, a good sized territory. Um, so that strategic choice of where to do it uh, was very important. And then also settling on my niche was very, very important because I knew that I kind of had one shot at this. If I'm going to relocate, we're not going to do it every year. You're not going to start. I didn't want to do it every year. I didn't want to start a new business every year. I didn't want to say, hey, the market's hot in Charlotte this year. Then let's go to Nevada. Then let's get like, I wanted to set my roots down. So, um, so I decided to, um, to really think about, do I want to continue with manufacturing as my niche? Or if I'm going to pivot, now is the time. And I spent a lot of time thinking about maybe pivoting into tech because tech was so hot at the time. Some of the recruiters who I really looked up to and knew were multi-million dollar billers like the Rich Rosens of the world who I've always followed or like Danny Cahill who I've always followed. I know he was in sales for technology. It was kind of like the main focuses of their firm. So I thought about that a lot. But then I, I ultimately said... I think if I'm doing a new city with a new business and a new everything, starting a new niche is just too much. I don't want to do that. Um, so I decided on manufacturing and in Charlotte. And then from there, I decided what I'm really going to do is only do within 100 miles to Charlotte. Because I realized that um, I could have a huge force multiplier and differentiator of my business if I was seeing these people in person, meeting them in person, walking through their plants. Then I could explain the jobs to the candidates a lot better too. So that strategic decision of what city to do, what niche to do, and to keep it as local as possible, niche, short story is just niching it down, um, picking that right niche uh, combined with the experience that I already had in recruiting, um, just made it a lot easier to build big numbers in the first year. Amazing. It's, it's so, I think people overlook the strategy. They focus on techniques like your recruiting scripts or overcoming objections or that kind of stuff, which, you know, that's all important parts of your craft, but 
you know, having the right strategy in the first place is like 70% of the, you know, of the thing. And, uh, yeah, it, it, it makes total sense. You are so analytical about even choosing where to live that, uh, I've, I love that. That's, that's really neat. But, um, also the local thing, is that something that you always have done or was that something you wanted to specifically do differently or how, where did you get that from? Um, so I wish I could take a ton of credit for saying that that was part of my strategic plan. It just sort of fell into place over time, but it was something I knew that I liked. So, um, I think that when you start your business, it is a really good time to think through a lot of these things. Like what has worked and what has not worked. Um, Because when you first start in your first agency, you're just desperate to bill and you're just trying to be successful and you're hearing things from other recruiters. Some are great, some are not so great. And you're taking a little bit from everyone and you're not really sitting back and thinking about what has worked, right? So um, so I knew that I liked working locally and meeting the, the companies and the candidates in person, because I felt like it gave just a leg up um, on the rapport and relationship building. It's so, it, it's so powerful. And I, I didn't know if anyone did that anymore. Cause when I was a recruiter running a desk, we always went to see our clients in person. We insisted. In fact, if someone said they were too busy to meet me, then I said, like, we can't work on the, on the position until we've met. So like, let us know when you're next recruiting, we'd be happy to take another look at it. And I literally would walk away, uh, from, and I remember one of my colleagues at the time, like that was my philosophy. That wasn't everybody. And she was like, Mark, I, you know, you're not going to take that job. And I was like, nah, he's like, he's not serious. He can't be bothered meeting me. So, um, that's just a, that's a red flag that he's going to be difficult across a number of areas. And I don't think it's going to close. She was like, do you mind if I work on it? And I said, you go for it. Like <laughs> I'm not. And, and lo and behold, she, she worked really hard on it and he messed around. It didn't go anywhere. She wasted a bunch of time on it. Um, and yeah, I, I think it's so important. I mean, I realize if you're recruiting nationally or internationally, then an in-person meet isn't isn't uh practical uh in a lot of cases but you know you can you can have the next best thing via zoom but as you say walking around the plant literally seeing how they're manufacturing stuff is pretty cool and it gets you excited about that company as well like if you're going to be representing that company in the market but when you think of what they do and how they do it you just like you have really no idea I just don't think you can be as good an ambassador for that uh, for that company. I don't think you can either. And I think it's a really good litmus test of how serious they are about working with you. Like, mm. could you at least take a meeting with me? It's not going to be that long. It'll be an hour in person. It's very easy to sign a contingent search agreement and just say, knock yourself out. If you send me people that are great, maybe I'll interview them and maybe I won't. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah um, exactly. And you can read their body language. And, and um, you know, another uh, point I wanted to make about this was um, I, I, I kind of fell into the local and in-person thing, but I had an instinct that the local clients were working better and that I liked that idea. But then at the end mm. of this year, um, I asked myself the same question that you asked me, which was, why were we this successful this year? Like what happened 
And I went back and I dug through the different clients that we've worked with. And I tried to do like a Pareto 80-20 thing. Who are the 20% of the mm. clients that are 80% of our income? And what I found out from that little exercise was actually over 77% of our clients were repeat business clients. So less than 30%, less than 25% only did one deal with us and moved on. And so I attribute a lot of that to how well we were able to build the relationship by meeting these people in person, taking them out to lunch, doing account management things like trying to do like a weekly candidate or weekly client check-in call. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that um, that's what prevents the one and done type of deals. When they don't really know you, they just know you have a resume that looks pretty good. Sure, I'll hire the guy. And then you call up, hey, can I have the next search? There's no there's no buy-in. There's no reason for them to stay with you. So um, so that was a huge one for us was just staying local, building up really strong relationships, especially in the wake of the COVID lockdowns. I think people, there was a demand for in-person relationships. And, um, and I also think it dovetailed really nicely with the manufacturing industry that we recruit in because it is an in-person type of an industry. Um, mechanical engineers, manufacturing engineers, a lot of them, you know, if they're working on the floor, they don't want to be on zoom calls all day long. They want to be, you know, doing tangible real things. And, um, so that worked really well. And then it also dovetailed with the type of positions that we place as far as multiple orders, because our niche. So in manufacturing recruitment, we place a lot of first line engineers. So like a design engineer, a quality engineer, manufacturing engineer, oftentimes people are making $100,000 a year or less, maybe five, seven years experience. That was probably not the sexiest niche to pick as far as a lot of people, they want to place plant managers or they want to place CFOs or they want to place 50, 60, $70,000 placements on full, fully you know, retained 30% deals. And it's hard to get that on a, someone who's got three, four years experience, but that company might need four or five or six of them in the year. And that's going to be double or triple that one CFO. Because how many times that CFO position turning over? Hopefully it's not very often. Exactly. That's a really, really good point. And something to factor in is how much repeat business potential is there in this niche, in this location, you know, at this level. And uh, yeah, it's super smart. Like how, on, on average, how many, or let's not say on average, but among your top clients, how many placements have you made with any, with each company? There's one that I'm thinking about doing a case study on that um, I met relatively early coming down here. They're from a small town in South Carolina. We did eight placements with them in the first year. Which I thought was outstanding, you know, and some of them were, you know, some of the deals were sixteen, seventeen thousand dollar placements that are not enormous in the grand scheme of things, and some of them were thirty, you know, thirty, thirty-five. That's that's towards the top end of what we usually recruit for. In our first Mm -hmm. year, our average fee was like was less than twenty thousand. So. Wow. So wait a second. That just shows how many placements you're making, Mike. Holy cow! Because you know if. If you're building a million dollars and your average deal is 50K, you only need a couple of months, right? Yeah. But yeah, you're, you're doing volume. That's impressive. Yeah, we, we do. You know, on a normal month, and, and we say this to candidates and clients, by the way, but like on a normal month, we'll expect to do five or seven placements, something like that. Amazing. I love it. Okay. 
If you're a recruitment business owner, you might be feeling the pressure to invest in new technology. But how do you invest in technology that is proven to win higher paying clients? Otherwise, overall, you're just making a financial loss. Our trusted partner, iIntro, has a solution for this. They provide recruiters with an online delivery platform for the candidate shortlist. So instead of sending over CVs or resumes, you can send your clients an online profile that includes video, key competency questionnaires, and behavioral assessments. It looks more professional than a CV or a PDF, plus it helps the client make a more informed decision about who to call to interview. But that's not all. iIntro also provides recruitment business owners with coaching for their team, not just to help them use the software, but to help them use it to win more retained business. Their comprehensive training program is specifically designed to help recruiters at all levels of experience develop a retained recruitment service. In fact, many of the hundreds of recruitment businesses they've worked with win a brand new retained client after only a few weeks of getting started. To see iIntro in action, just go to recruitmentcoach.com forward slash retained to book a free demonstration. There's no obligation, plus you'll also be helping to support this podcast. That's recruitmentcoach.com forward slash retained. the right market, retained. the right location, the right level, and uh, I guess that's Phil, isn't it? F-I-L-L, function industry level location. So you had that part uh, nailed down. You were able to meet people in person. You are uh, working really hard to develop those accounts. Is there any other key factors that were critical to your success, do you think? Um, another one that comes to mind right off the bat was um, digital marketing, social media, and LinkedIn. Yeah, let's dig into that because that's something, something we're both passionate about. And in fact, that's how I found you uh, originally was... Um, I started seeing your content on LinkedIn and uh, you, so I, I was just naturally like, Hey, this is good. I was liking it and commenting on it and stuff. And that's how I think we crossed cross paths initially. Um, which by the way, if you're, I'm not going to steal your thunder, actually, I, I'll let you talk because this is something you're really, really good at. But if you want to do business with a company or a, a hiring manager uh, or even, you know, recruit a candidate, then, you know, what what warmer way to enter into a relationship than to just engage with their content? Because they will notice and they will appreciate it and they'll go, they'll check you out and they'll go, who is this person that's, you know, liking my, uh, my, my posts or that commented on the video? And they may even invite you to connect before you've even invited them to connect. But certainly then when you reach out with a message or even a phone call, they already know who you are and you've already established a sort of, you know, um, friendly, you know, online relationship, which then you can, you can convert to an offline relationship. So that's how, I don't know if you even remember this, but this how, that's how we initially got together. I remember, of course. Yeah. I had, awesome. I had actually been following you from before, but I, I can't remember if I sent you a message or vice versa. I think you maybe I sent you a message. I said, Hey, All Mike, right. your LinkedIn content's brilliant. Do you write it yourself? <laughs> and well, then you said, uh, Oh, and you said you had been following me for a while, which was cool. And that you write your own content, which I'd love to learn more about today. That was, and then a few months later, maybe actually six months later, I like, I said, you did an excellent job with the video that you posted. And then you came back and said, Hey, I was just talking to Rich Rosen and he recommended you. Um, and of course that's like, 
I had to jump on that buying signal, so I invited <laughs> you to a call. Um, but yeah, t- I just talk casually about- name dropped Rich Rose in there, like he's like my best friend. <laughs> I've talked to him. I mean, he was really generous with his time. I sent him a message he's just saying awesome I was a guy. fan of his. And but yeah, uh, cool. he did mention he was like, you know, you should really talk to Mark, which was very cool. So um, that's kind of him. I was just talking to Rich this afternoon, actually, and. Uh, yeah, what a what a what a great human being. So um, anyway, I'll shut up, and I want to hear your LinkedIn <laughs> strategy because you're very good at it. Well, thank you. So um, there's so much to this topic, but a couple things just that I, I would like to talk about is first, just generally speaking, posting on LinkedIn does work and is a very mm-hmm. effective strategy for business development and candidate uh, attraction and specifically account management. So um, account management, as we're talking about, is a, is a big topic for me, I think is kind of an under-discussed topic in general. But as far as mm. the where it goes with LinkedIn, right? So um, I, I want to share a quick story of how you can win clients with it. Because um, that's what everyone wants to know is, can I just post stuff online and not have to make cold calls? And although I wouldn't recommend that, you can win clients that way. So when I was early on posting, um, I wrote a quick story on LinkedIn. And um, the story was this. So I had a sales appointment with a prospective client. And it was like a two-hour drive, hour and a half, two hours to get there. So the day before, I was talking to my wife and I was saying, I got a big day tomorrow. I have to drive two hours to meet this client. I'm also going to bring this book that I think that they would really enjoy as a little gift. So I have to stop at Barnes & Noble, buy the book. I have to go drive up. So she says, good luck and you know, let me know how it goes. So I drive up the two hours and we're meeting at a coffee shop. It's like a 10 a.m. meeting. So I'm sitting there with the book and my coffee and the guy is running a little late. So I look at my phone and it's like 10.04. And so then immediately the thoughts come to my mind. He's not going to show up. I'm going to get stood up. Am I even good at this thing of being a recruiter? I don't know if I should do this career anymore. What am I going to tell my wife when I drive back home with the book still in my hand? It's embarrassing, you know? And you have all of these self, uh, you know, conscious thoughts. And then the phone clicks from 1004 to 1005. The guy walks in. Hi, how are you? Nice to meet you. And then all of those feelings go away. Um, but my point of it was is that everyone feels these feelings, whether or not you bill a million dollars or whether you're a new recruiter. So it's okay to feel that kind of stuff, right? So. I wrote that post. It got some traction. I can't remember how it did. I think I remember it doing well. The next day, I get a call. Um, hey, Mike, I really liked your post. I'm like, thanks. That's funny how you got my number. You know, I'm like rushing the person off the phone because I have the next thing to do. And the guy says, "Don't hurry too fast off the phone because I'm the VP of HR at a two billion dollar company, and we place a ton of manufacturing engineers. We want to work together with you." Boom. So he cold called me. And he was in HR, which it's impossible to get HR on board with, you know, agency recruiting. It's very difficult, right? They usually don't want to take your call. And we've done most, multiple placements with them since. So just to illustrate the point, it does work and you can win clients from it. What an awesome story, Mike. Well, first of all, a great post because I think that it's so reassuring to hear that somebody else and especially somebody successful is feeling those that self-doubt and the inner critic that kind of rears its head and all that stuff, the uh, inner trash talk. Um, it, so it, is a, it was a great subject for a post. But, but secondly, the case study of, of you actually getting that inbound client, which turned into a key client for you from that. 
Uh, awesome, awesome stuff. It's we have so many examples of people of this kind of thing happening that it's like we're kind of evangelical about asking people to, uh, in our program anyway, to post consistently on LinkedIn because, well, for so many reasons. But what? Tell me more about your strategy and how it's worked for you. So, so that's um, so that's an example of how you can just win clients in general. Um, I think but that that I, is there's an yeah. important an important point here, Mike, is that like if you you could have got lucky, right? If that you just posted it randomly once in a while and you just got that result. But the thing is, you can make yourself lucky just by showing up more often, right? Because you don't know who's going to read you, like timing, who the right person reading your post, you know, in the right moment and then reacting that way to it and then reaching out to you. You can't, there's no way to engineer that or make that happen. But if you show up consistently, you're putting yourself in a position where you have the best possible chances of that happening. You have to show up consistently because just winning the clients like that story I shared is a bit of luck. Um, most people are not going to cold call you like like this gentleman did, but he had been in sales years ago. So he identified with the story. Then he moved to HR and he happened to need an agency recruiter and it was just perfect timing. But Amazing. more often what will happen is is what I call like the account management um, benefit of posting on LinkedIn. And what that can look like is this. So I made a cold call uh, to a company like uh, eight months ago, let's say, right? And I got the person on the phone. They said, thanks for calling. We're not all that interested in your MPC right now. Stay in touch, whatever. So me, you know, being a busy recruiter like everyone I should have put that person in a sequence and followed up with them every two or three weeks and then checked in with them, but I didn't do any of those things. I just moved on and forgot about that person. But I did connect with them on LinkedIn because every person that I cold call, I'd send a connection request on LinkedIn. Then I consistently would post on LinkedIn and then that person would see the things I would post. Sometimes she would like or comment. Oftentimes she would not like or comment. And I had completely forgot about this individual and this prospect and the whole thing. Six months later, I get a call from her and she says, Mike, you remember you cold called me eight months ago. I said, oh yeah, I remember. Of course I do. (laughs) (laughs) And she says, I've been following your LinkedIn content this whole time. And now we have a job order for you. So she felt as if the relationship had been continued every time that she sees that post because she's seeing you, but she's also not seeing you in a way where you're like every other recruiter who is just begging for business every time. Can you check out this NPC? Can you sign my contract? Can you, you know, asking for something every time? Instead, the, the relationship has been changed that she's actually kind of getting something from you that could be valuable when she sees your posts and the information that you're sharing. Love that. Absolutely. So true. Yeah, yeah, that's really cool. So tell me more about um, how did you have any uh, sort of barriers or um, mental or or otherwise to getting started on this journey of posting? Because in theory, I don't think there's anyone listening who would go, "That's a terrible idea," right? Everyone, we can. The way you've explained it, it just is obvious that recruiters should be doing it, and yet many resist and they, 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 they don't want to do it or they, they like the idea, but they just don't, they don't put it into action. So, um, what do you think stops people? 
Mm, I think a lot of things. I think that these days it's, um, you know, you don't want to get in trouble of saying something that is perceived to be either incorrect or insensitive. Um, you know, there's certainly a risk there. Like if you put something that's hateful online, <laughs> it's not going to go well for you right now. So I think people are a little bit just concerned of, um, you know, what will happen? Will people um, yeah. judge me or will people just, you know, make fun of me or think that I'm posting something that's not relevant? So true. It's like the fear of public humiliation or like embarrassment or, you know, what will, pe how will people react? What if they don't like, what if no one likes it? What if people, you know, uh, you know, troll me? Like they, there's all these things that we're worried about, which is so deep rooted in our psychology as human beings, isn't it? Like we're tribal. And, and if you get ostracized, like if you're a caveman and you get ostracized from your group, you're pretty much dead, right? Mm -hmm. you, you can't survive on your own. So like we're hardwired to need that almost approval of our, of our, of our tribe. And uh, so doing anything that you fear could risk that is, um, yeah, it takes it takes guts to do it. But then you you start and you realize it's a no big deal and nothing bad happens, right? Only good stuff happens. So I I believe it or not, I used to I'm I'm over this now, but it's taken me about eight years, I'd say. I used to have self-doubt every single time I posted before I clicked the like post button. I would be I would I would have this whole internal, you know. My biggest fear was what if no one likes this? Like what if just zero likes, zero, like, yeah. zero likes, zero reaction. I'm going to look like a loser, right? And is that, you know, or and like, is this a dumb, like, it's like, is this post dumb? Is this content? Like, does anyone, is anyone going to care about this? Or is this like a lame idea? And like almost hovering between post and delete, like that kind of uh, anxiety, like real anxiety before posting and forcing yourself. And then I noticed that sometimes the stuff, like not everything does well, but sometimes the things that I thought were kind of dumb or average take off and people really respond to it. And sometimes the stuff that I spend hours on and really craft it and hone it, and then it only does okay. And so I realized I, I can't really predict what's going to happen. I just need to be consistent and do my best. It's weird. Ones that I've come up with in 10 seconds off the top of my head have gone like viral, if you want to call it that, yeah. you know, 3000 likes or something. And then ones that, right. you know, you spend time researching, they, they fall on deaf ears. But, um, I think that some people say too, like I, I would do it, but I have no idea what I would talk about. Right. Yeah. Yes, definitely. <laughs> but, yeah. I have, so know, I yeah, yeah, I have idea of like, this is what I would suggest if someone says that. Right. So yeah. Everyone has something to talk about, but if it's a career-oriented, um, you know, thing like on LinkedIn, I'll give you like my formula of how I can come up with posts that I think would relate to just about anyone in any field. So the first thing I'll do is I'll I'll just try to read something that is industry-related or business-related in general on a somewhat regular basis. So the way that I'll do that is I get the Wall Street Journal, yep. and I'll re I'll try to read it on a weekend. And for example, you might see an article about uh, interest rates are going up and they're talking about 
banks are having these issues and they're talking about the Fed and they're talking about Jerome Powell and they're talking about all of the different ramifications of the interest rates going up. Well, for someone in my career, um, what I'm thinking about as a recruiter is how is this going to impact me? And then how is this going to impact my candidates and my clients? So if I start to think of who my candidates and my clients are and what keeps them up at night, then I think, okay, so maybe my candidate is a manufacturing engineer or a plant manager, and their job is to go buy manufacturing equipment. Maybe they're buying that equipment on credit, and then maybe their interest rate is now affected that they can't get the type of equipment that they wanted to get, or they have to finance it over a longer period of time. Maybe the people that are making that equipment realize that now there's a credit crunch or there's you know, all of the things that are happening and they're not offering as many features or instruments or all of the different things that happen with the equipment. So that's a post. Like, hey, you're seeing the interest rates calling all manufacturing engineers. How is this going to impact your equipment sourcing you know, agenda? And you're putting something out that's very targeted to the type of people that you want to talk to and is providing value to them. I think that's a really good recipe for finding things to talk about on LinkedIn. Love it. It's so cool. Um, wh- how, where do you capture these ideas, Mike, though? So that, you know, because I think... It's a bit like once you force yourself to start coming up with ideas, you get more and more and more of them uh, and you'll, you can bank them for like a rainy day when you're, when you're not feeling as creative. So do you have a system for kind of capturing and planning your content ahead of time? I just use iPad, uh, iPhone notes, the notes tab and something mm-hmm. comes to mind for me. I find yeah. that I usually have a lot more ideas on the weekend um, yeah. when I'm a little you're bit relaxed old. and you're, yeah more relaxed, you're chilling out, you're thinking of stuff, you kind of you free up your mind. And then I might think of two or three or four. And if I get two or three in a week, then I'm happy. I feel like I'm consistently showing up. And some of it is not all about my clients or candidates either. Some of it's just about me and my experience as a recruiter. And that will pull in recruiters, um, which are not necessarily your target clients. But I think your clients still see enough of it. And if um, you know, maybe they'll just resonate with something that you wrote. Exactly. It's an interesting uh, point on that, Mike, which is the algorithm, if they if it sees engagement, from, it doesn't matter if it's other recruiters or who it is, it's then going to show it to more of your own network, right? And if your network is engineers and plant managers, that's who it's going to show it to. So it'd be interesting to look at, I don't know if you've done, have you looked at the analytics on those posts that are more about recruiting to see who's um, who's responding? They always do better. <laughs> they always do better, I think, because there's more recruiters on LinkedIn, um, I think. But um, I, I do think it's really interesting, this idea of if you, if you write a post and it gets a, a ton of engagement, let's say it gets you know a couple hundred likes, someone's going to see that and whether or not that post is pointed towards their specific area of interest or not, if that's a potential client or someone that you've cold called in the past, they're just going to be like, wow, this person has something interesting going on. They're getting hundreds of likes. They're talking. People are liking them. They're a person in in business. That has a value to it as well. Where I think that you want to um, potentially either, I don't want to say limit, but just consider like the ramifications of it is there are some people who post consistently on LinkedIn 
and they're getting thousands of likes, but they're just basically posting jokes and memes and little, you know, yeah. ideas that I, yeah. I don't yeah. think, I think over time your, your target client's going to say like, is this person an even expert? Are they even an expert at what they're doing or? Exactly. You're so right, Mike. So the ratio that we suggest is that at least 50% of your posts should be, uh, relevant to your target industry or your target audience. And this is like the, this is your bread and butter. This is what is going to boost your credibility and establish you as an authority and show your target audience that you do know your industry. You understand the nuances of their, you know, their, their sector and that sort of stuff. Um, And then let's say another, you know, 20% could be more personal. So it could be like, you with your family or your dog, or you know, like you're celebrating a milestone, like a birthday or your first year in business, you know, that's not personal, but it's, it's, you know, is celebrating, uh, successes that you've had in your business, in your, in your career. Uh, and as you say, it makes you more three-dimensional, like a human, you, you are then relatable. You're not just another recruiter. Uh, you're someone that they can relate to. And then, like we say a maximum of 10% to be more entertainment kind of stuff, like a meme or a gif or uh, something funny. You know, I think that kind of stuff is is fine. It does perform well in terms of likes and, you know, virality. But if that's all you're posting, then are you going to be thought of as the go-to recruiter? Probably not, right? So It's, it's funny, funny how they balance. do so well, though, isn't it? Like that 10% I know, it, they're, yeah. Exactly. And that's why I think people fall into that trap because it's like crack cocaine. People get the endorphin. <laughs> they get the endorphin rush of all those likes and all that adulation, but it's not really for them. It's that people just liked the, uh, people liked the, the, the meme. And so, uh, yeah, I, I, you have to be careful with that. I don't think it really establishes your authority, so to speak. So really interesting. Do you have any other tips or strategies regarding LinkedIn, Mike? I just, um, just adding on to what you're talking about too, is I always try to think of the sub narrative of whatever my post is. I Mm. want it to be that I am the go-to recruiter in manufacturing industry in greater Charlotte. Like, and that you'll want to say that every time because it becomes very boring. (laughs) You know, it's like, you'll see people post, I'm hiring for this type of job, please apply over and over and over. And it just becomes so boring because, um, you know, everyone's saying that it doesn't, like you said, it's not three-dimensional, but you can post something that either is about your family or is a little joke or is, you know, about something that's a little tangential to what you do that just establishes your authority and lets people know I'm here, this is what I do and I'm really good at it. Um, So trying to somehow weave that in as like a sub narrative, I think is important. This episode is brought to you by Recruitment Entrepreneur. If you've dreamed of starting your own business or if you've already got a successful firm and you want to grow more rapidly, then pay close attention. Recruitment Entrepreneur are the number one investors in recruitment startups and scale-ups globally. They provide everything you need to grow your business, including the funding and financial expertise, operational strategy and back office support, and marketing and talent attraction solutions. Led by James Kahn, they've already invested in 45 businesses and you could be their next joint venture partner. To learn more about Recruitment Entrepreneur in the USA or anywhere globally, go to recruitmentcoach.com forward slash VC. That's VC is in venture capital. 
book a call with one of their investment directors and be sure to tell them you were referred by Mark Whitby and the Resilient Recruiter podcast. Once again, visit recruitmentcoach.com forward slash VC. Well, I remember we actually have a free ebook, which is called 25 of our top performing uh, LinkedIn posts to inspire your own content. And it's really just the 25 among, I need to update it because you're not on there, Mike. I'm sure yours <laughs> would be would be high up, but um, like 25 posts that have performed really well, all different, but you get an idea of the kinds of stuff that people are posting that's that's performing well to kind of kickstart your own your own ideas. Um, fantastic! Like I, I really admire what you're doing on LinkedIn, and uh, as I say, that's how we that's how we first connected. Um, was there anything else you wanted to you wanted to share about that sort of digital marketing aspect of driving your business development? No, I think that's everything. I mean, I think that anyone who's interested in this should definitely download that ebook because there are some tactical things that you can do. There's, it's more, it's an art and a science. There's a little bit yeah. of an artistic flair to it, but if you follow like that strategy, Mark was just explaining about certain percentage of different types of post, it's also going to inspire the artistic side of you because um, it's just going to, you know, put your brain in this mode of I know I need to post something that's authoritative today. What can I think, you know, rather than just starting from nowhere, I just need to post something today. Definitely. hundred um, percent. The other thing you're doing, which I admire and which a lot of recruiters shy away from is you are doing videos as well. Um, talk to me about how you started doing video on LinkedIn. Uh, so I did that because there are certain topics that um, don't lend themselves all that well to just um, text, mm-hmm. like longer form things. I think that you want to keep them still as brief as possible, but I think that um, that that was the first thing that made me think I should do a video. But then the second thing was um, I thought about it in terms of why am I writing these things on LinkedIn? Well, I want to get people to get to know me. Okay, so yeah. if you want to get people to get to know you, do you think that they're going to get to know you and feel like they know you better from something that you write or from seeing you talk and looking at you, you know, visually. Obviously, you know, visually is better. The only next thing better than that is going to meet them in person, which is I try to leverage the LinkedIn to get the in-person meeting. So um, I try not to show up all the time just with videos because um, I try not to post things or (laughs) videos or text if it's just because I need to make three this week. I try to wait till I have something that I have, you know, really good to say. But that was the main thinking there was if it's a little bit longer form or if it's just an opportunity to get yourself visually in front of people um, to start building up that digital rapport with people. Love it. I, I I couldn't have said it better, Mike. That's a really good explanation for why to do why to do video. Um, so yeah, congrats. And and actually you're showing me up. I need to do more uh, I need to do more videos again. I used to do kind of more tips and and strategies on on video. Um, Mike, I, I, I want to hear about the challenges that you've experienced because the, I think because you've been really successful, there's a risk that people think, oh, this guy's like, he's somehow, he's different to me. You know, it's easy for him, but, you know, I, I find it more challenging to, uh, you know, to, to get my billings up. So what would you say has been the main challenge or roadblock that you experienced either in your career or, or in launching your business? Um, one comes to mind, um, 
very specifically. Um, and it's about uh, hiring someone and, and trying to start building a team. So um, I had kind of like an existential oh crap moment <laughs> not too long ago in, in here in 2023. Um, and But the interesting thing about that was that actually led to probably the best decision or the best outcome that I've had. Um, so sometimes going through those low lows leads you to the higher highs. So let me start off by describing the higher high of how, you know, why this is whole thing was worth doing. And then I'll, ex- I'll explain, you know, what the low low was and why you should still want to hopefully do it. So this past week I was on vacation, <clears throat> my first real vacation since starting the business. Me and my wife went to the Florida Keys. So really nice place. Um, I'm sitting on a beach, I'm reading a book, sun shining. I look over at my wife, she looks at me, she smiles at me. I'm like in heaven, right? And my wife says to me, I'm really glad that you hired Isaac and started building your company, hired people. And I was like, where does that, what, what made you think that, at, you know, right now? And she says, I have never seen you in the seven, eight years we've been together relax this much on vacation wow because i'm like (laughs) i'm notorious for like we're at like a you know our three-year-old nephew's birthday and my phone's ringing and i'm like walking out the door while we're singing happy birthday because i can just never get away from work right so who doesn't want that like that ability to unplug um that's why you should hire a team and that's why it's it's been incredibly helpful for me to do but now let me let me talk about why uh, it was so difficult and, and one of the things that was really really hard. So, so I hired Isaac, my first recruiter, at the beginning of this year, in January. So I had a hot desk. I was busy as can be. I'm making him, you know, so many calls. I'm doing deals. Um, but I bring him on, and obviously, like the first week, you're spending a ton of time just getting his laptop set up. You want to take him out to lunch. You want to show him basic things. He's right out of college. He has a million questions, you know. So it's, you know, I'm having trouble putting my phone, not taking that client call or that candidate call. And I still took a ton, but I needed to train him, right? So the first month, really, you're you're basically shot. Like you're not you're you're spending a ton of time hands on with that person. So I got him to the point um, after like a month, five weeks where he could do one thing really well. And what he could do was I could set up a list of of candidates for him to call. um, And he would say, hey, my name's Isaac. I'm a manufacturing industry recruiter. I have a manufacturing engineer job open. Would you talk to my boss, Mike Williams, about this position? And I said, that's great. For one month in, set people up on my calendar. If they're no good, I'm going to tell you to cancel it or you take the call or whatever. And if they're good, then I'll take it from there. So of course, what do I do when I'm having him do this? I have him calling on all the B orders and the C orders that are not worth my time because I'm thinking I still need to take care of the A orders and he's going to work on the stuff because he's new or whatever. Right? So before you know it, all of these companies that I probably wouldn't have even really focused on the search that much, he's got me five, six, seven calls a day with candidates for these positions that are that are B orders and C orders. So now I'm spending all of my time on these candidates and these clients that are not, you know, for me, the ideal client and candidate. So now we're towards the end of the second month. The first month, I closed some deals that were just trailing from the month before. The second month, we're in the like the third week of the second month, right? We have we're at zero, a donut for the month. So I'm starting to freak out. So I'm like, 
I have five, six things in play. They're all B order, C orders. These companies are giving us the runaround. I shouldn't even be dealing with any of this stuff right now at all. I did a bad strategy. I shouldn't be focusing on this stuff. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm about to go broke because now we're in this death spiral of all that he knows how to do is recruit for the wrong jobs. He doesn't know how to do sales. He doesn't know how to recruit for the right jobs. So I'm like, I'm calling like mentors. I'm like, how do I get out of this? I, I'm, I'm spending all my time on bad companies and there's no good answer because you're already down that road, right? So, so I was freaking out. <laughs> So come to find out the next week, the fourth week of that month, like Monday or Tuesday, we closed the deal. One of the B orders is C orders. Then that week, it just started going like this. We closed like five deals that week and it was off to the races from there. And the lesson that I learned in it was the things that I've always said and have always been said to you in recruiting are true. Activity does equal productivity. It might not be the same level when you're just running a desk, just you. Everything has to be perfect and it has to be that A order because you've been in this business seven, eight years. You have to be able to loosen up the reins and give up control a little bit to someone who is newer. But um, it's going to work out in the end. And um, and you know the end goal here is you're going to have a lot more flexibility and relaxation to walk away um, when it's vacation time if you have people on your team that you can trust. I love that. Go Isaac. Shout out to, uh, <laughs> hopefully he'll hear this. And uh, yeah, that's awesome. So what, wh- look, <clears throat> starting to build your team. First of all, let's just say the being a billing manager is the toughest job in recruitment because you're still trying to keep everything going on your desk and perform at a high level and be a role model and uh, set the example and plus continue making money. At the same time, you're now training somebody else coaching, mentoring, managing that person, um, which takes a ton of time, especially in the beginning. And that, you know, there's, there's no getting away from this. It's just hard. It's hard to juggle all of that stuff and do it well. Um, and where now I'm so glad Isaac worked out where I've seen people at this stage falter is they, they think I'm going to scale. I'm going to grow a team, and then they hire their first person doesn't work out, and then they've just spent their overheads, their costs have gone up, their time focused away from their own desk and helping someone else means that they have a a, a, a dip, and then they're like, screw that. Like I'm just I just need to stay solo. I can't afford to make these mistakes, and they just give up. And maybe the most adventurous people might try twice, and if it doesn't work out. They're like, I'm done. Like building a company is not for me. I've seen that happen so many times, Mike. And if you are committed to growing, you need to just mentally prepare yourself for the fact that not everyone's going to work out. You are going to spend time training people who, you know, then either quit or you have to let go in a few months time. And this is par for the course. Like, if you're committed, how, like, how committed are you to growing? Because it's not a straight line. It's like ups and downs and there's going to be turmoil. There's going to be, you know, it's, it's going to be an emotional roller coaster. but if you're committed, you will find a way to make it successful. Um, looking back over your, uh, experience, is there anything you would do differently? Um, in general or with, or with bringing him on? With bringing, yeah, with bringing Isaac on and, and getting him up and running? Um, I think that um, 
I think as far as things that I, I might do differently would be, um, I would, I would, I'm trying to find the balance of, um, the negative thing that happens to recruiters, which is kind of what happened to me, which is here's a phone book, here's a cell phone. Let's see what you can do, kid. <laughs> you know, and, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and if you can't bill, then you're going to lose your job. You know, um, I'm trying to balance that with everything being, you know, so perfectly prescribed or you don't want to make it too easy. Right. Like I, I told him like, look, if you want to be a sorcerer, you can be a sorcerer for us forever. You know, I think right now there's a, a place for a sorcerer, but I don't want that for you. I want you to become a sorcerer. Then I want you to become a full candidate side. Then I want you to do the client side and biz dev and, and cold calls. So I think what I would have potentially done differently was I think I would have tried to get him on the sales side a little sooner because we're still sort of struggling with that because we have a lot of incoming business. And it's very hard for me to take him off of candidate recruiting and put him on sales when I know I can do sales. And I know that it's going to take months to ramp someone up you know, who's right out of college to become a really good cold caller and business development person. But I think that you have to start. You got to just start having them making cold calls, they're going to fall on their face a little bit. They're going to get pulled around by their nose by a little bit by clients. And that's okay. Cause that's how you learn. That's how I learned. That's how everyone learns. And so, um, I think what I'll probably do is be like, we got to have one or two days a week where you're on business development. Don't worry about the pipeline. Don't worry about what's on the board. Don't worry about if you get hung up all day long. I don't care. This is just getting your reps. And, and, and I'm trying to find that balance with him right now. It's interesting. I think if the goal ultimately is to get to 360, then we definitely don't want to make the client side seem like really like, oh, you're not ready yet. Like it's too difficult. You're going to fail. Like almost make it, I think you create this, um, you almost create a fear in somebody by making it out to be this really difficult thing when, you know, it, realistically, it's pretty much the same as calling, you know, candidates. I mean, when it boils, boils right down to it and we can build up this like reluctance almost by making it seem like a huge deal. Um, so for sure, like just getting, uh, getting some exposure to that, I think definitely is, isn't a bad idea. My, uh, my friend and, and, and mentor, Joel Slenning, even for his recruiting side people, he trains them in the full full desk, um, even if they're really not going to be doing biz dev because he wants them to really understand how everything fits together and to understand the full, the full life cycle. But, um, you're doing an awesome job, Mike. I'm, I'm really impressed. Like, man, it's only 15 months in like, and, and you're still young. You're like, you've got time on your side to really build something amazing here. Well, thank you so much. It means a lot, especially coming from you. And, you know, I've learned so much from you guys and your program, and I can't recommend that highly enough. And and even just from watching this podcast, it feels kind of surreal talking to you right now because um, I've seen you in, you know, the podcast so many times with that exact background and with that microphone right there. And um, But yeah, um, no, I really appreciate you saying that. Oh, fantastic. Well, this was fun, Mike. Uh, I, I'm I'm really excited that we we did this and your what I loved was your so specific with your um insights that people are going to love this because the feedback I get is the the episodes people like the most are the ones where 
the guest actually shared something tangible that they could implement. And you've definitely, you've over-delivered on that. So I appreciate it. Well, thank you. I really hope people like it and I hope people get stuff from it. And um, thank you so much for having me on. Thanks, Mike. Talk to you soon. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to The Resilient Recruiter. If you've enjoyed the show, the best way you can show your support is to click that subscribe button. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.